Tomorrow, the 2019 MLS season gets underway as Toronto FC travel to Philadelphia to take on the Union. Confidence surrounding the team, however, not really at an all-time high after a quick and painful CONCACAF Champions League campaign. My name is Mitchell Tierney. You are listening to the Footy Talks podcast. And ahead on this week's show, we will talk about what went wrong for Toronto FC in the CCL. Look ahead to where the club goes from here and finish up with some Canadian soccer news, including the Canadian Premier League schedule and format finally being released. To do all this, it's the return of Oliver Platt from DAZN and Pro Soccer USA. Ollie, a pleasure as always to have you on the show. Uh, thanks for having me back. Well, Ollie, you were uh, one of the, I guess like 5,000 people or so, who were actually <laughs> down at BMO Field um, this week to watch Toronto FC in the second leg against Independiente. Um, I should, full disclosure, say you were warm and in the press box. You were not one of the People who was in yeah. the stands, I feel so bad for those. I mean, <laughs> I've talked to a couple of the Waking the Red guys who were uh, who were there, but uh, they uh, yeah they were very cold, <laughs> and they they um, as you would imagine on probably the coldest game in Toronto FC history. Um, Toronto FC, of course, bowing out five one on aggregate. The the second leg was a one one tie after that disastrous four uh, nil. Uh, loss in in the first leg it, it looked for for a couple minutes there like they might be able to turn this around I mean after the Jordan Hamilton goal and all the the ridiculous amount of chances uh, the field looked pretty tilted during that uh, that first half but uh, ultimately uh, you know they weren't able to get a second before halftime and and then uh, Independiente caught them on the break on uh, yet another defensive error. So, uh, what did you make of a game that probably was was a bit better from Toronto FC, but still uh, still kind of concerning as well? Yeah, well, I'd just say first of all that even people in the front row of the press box who are closest to the massive window that we sit behind uh, were wearing coats and and wrapping up <laughs> due to the cold getting in. So, respect to anyone who was out there for for the full ninety. Um, yeah, I thought like. And this is really the bare minimum you'd expect, but I thought that the compete level was a lot better, um, just in terms of the harrying when they were out of possession, um, the way they engaged physically a little bit more. You know, f- for me that was the big issue in in Panama. Um, you know, there were, there were problems with the tactics and the you know the system and, and things like that. But to me, the fundamental issue was they just didn't compete and they didn't show any kind of appetite for the game. Um, and I thought that was back. And as I say, that's the bare minimum you'd expect, but it was there and, and that was a bit of a relief. Um, aside from that, I, I just thought, to be honest with you, I don't know that you can take many conclusions out of that game just because the pitch was so impossible to play on. Um, Fair enough. I thought it made it, to be honest with you, like like this is a TFC team that needs um, practice matches and needs reps and needs to kind of learn this new system that they're trying to play and they need some players to you know step up in the absence of, of new signings so far and so each and every match is valuable I think and to be honest I thought this one was a bit of a write-off just because of the the way the field played and that the way it forced them to go to that 4-4-2 and essentially just pump crosses into the box for 90 minutes yeah yeah um there there were a few positives I think you can 
you can mark on the day. Uh, Jordan Hamilton, uh, pretty pretty solid. One of his better performances, I think, in, in in recent memory. I mean, scored the goal, had a, had a number of chances. Really looked like the the only Toronto FC player likely to score on the day, yeah. um, which you know is doesn't say great things necessarily about the teammates. Uh, anything else stand out to you in terms of, uh, I guess, some some good things we can take out of this game? Yeah, like you said, Hamilton was was decent, and he really was the focal point um, by the end of it. Uh, he had some interesting things to say afterwards about how you know he really seemed to feel like he was in danger of getting cut in the off season, uh, and mm-hmm. that wasn't just like a renegotiation or whatever. Um, and I think that probably you know hit home a little bit, which is something <laughs> I think from what Greg Vanny has said over the past couple of years that maybe we've suspected Jordan Hamilton has needed a little bit. Yeah. Um, I thought Akinola did okay. It wasn't really a game that suited him because there wasn't a lot of um, you know running behind the line and behind the lines and in the flanks that he could do given the the slowness of the field. Um, who else? Another tough night for Lawrence Simon, as I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll get on to. I thought Mavinga looked really good, um, really sharp physically. You know, at the top of his get, he was the one person who seemed like he could get across the sand at a decent speed. Um, so it's good to see him looking in top physical shape. Um, but yeah, ab- apart from that, it was kind of again a much better effort, I thought, but still lacking in quality in key areas. Yeah, and one player we did see for the first time for Toronto FC was Nick DeLeon. Um, to this point, probably their their biggest offseason sign. Well, I guess Laurent Simon, but uh, you know, one of the big offseason signings they made so far. Um, coming in from from DC United, I uh, you, you know I haven't seen a whole lot of him over the years. Like like you kind of forget what he brings to the table, but really solid I thought from him. He was able to beat players pretty easily down that right wing, which is something uh, Toronto were evidently missing in the first leg, and and something that is really important for this team as they uh, emphasize that wing play so much. And uh, you know obviously it's going to take a bit of time for him to to kind of connect with teammates on that side. But uh, I, I thought that was a promising start and a player that I think could be very important for Toronto FC this season, as I said, uh, just with the way they're planning to to shape up tactically. Yeah, I agree. I thought he put in a solid effort. Um, I think he was one of the players who really suffered because of the field condition because he was always getting the ball at a standing start rather than kind of on the move. Um, mm-hmm. And he wasn't really able to use his speed and ability to run up players, um, as I'm sure he'd like to. But... I think probably what, you know, kind of the lesson we learned a little bit last year and, and the the adjustments CFC have made in the in the off season is that with a guy like De Leon, you know, you still need quality and they're still gonna try and get players like Pozuelo and, and some more tan players, but with a guy like De Leon, even if he isn't fantastic in terms of scoring and creating goals on the day, or even if you're playing in tough conditions like they were on Tuesday night, you're still gonna get a solid ninety minutes effort out of him and, and he'll you know, he'll give you something uh, just through sheer persistence and effort uh, rather than floating out of a game like that. So I think there was definitely a uh, desire to add more characters of that type to the group, um, and and he's one of them. Yeah, definitely uh, some, some concerning things, though, as well, as we mentioned. Uh, I mean, we'll definitely talk about the defense, but offensively as well, I mean, that 
both of those games kind of asked the question. I know Josie Altidore wasn't there. Uh, Pozuelo will be coming in as well. But it asked the question of, you know, where are the goals going to come from this season? Because obviously, uh, Sebastian Javinko leaving, that's a whole bunch of the goals and, you know, created goals as well for Toronto FC. Uh, Victor Vasquez, same thing. I mean, he was very important as a kind of secondary scorer for Toronto FC in terms of goals from the midfield. Uh, you know, even guys like Ricketts and Nick Hagland. I mean, Nick Hagland, I think, I feel like would have, uh, you know, could have been a very important player in the in the second leg there just because of the way Toronto FC was playing. I feel like he would have been able to attack some balls. And um, we, we've seen him kind of... Uh, put up there late in game so that's a that's an aerial threat that now they've now they're missing um on corner kicks and such even with a guy like Pozuelo coming in you know he's he's more of a creative player he'll he'll create chances but we we don't necessarily expect him to score a lot of goals himself so um with offense kind of being the the positive last season I mean they were still one of the, the top teams in in MLS offensively uh, that has to be at least a bit of a concern because obviously we've seen the the defense so far hasn't really uh, hasn't really improved either. No, yeah, the reality is they need three players. I think um, mm-hmm. obviously we hope Pozuelo is one of them, um, but I, I think they need a winger on either side on top of that with the the targeted allocation money that they have available. Um, you know, if you if you could get two quality wingers in either side of Altador and, and Pozuelo added to the middle of the pitch then I think it's a dramatically different picture but they've got obviously a lot of work to do and, and thankfully because of the um, anticipated Champions League run that never was they've got a bit of time with that bye week in, in week two um, mm-hmm. but yeah it, it, they, they still have a lot of work to do and uh, again as much as I think someone like De Leon will give, him, give them a, a solid effort every time he's on the field if he's a starter at right wing I would be a little bit concerned um, that this attack is not going to be as effective as it as it has been in recent years and you know obviously as you said the defense just isn't looking a lot better right now and, and there's real questions there so yeah they, they need new players and there's no system or way around that other than bringing more quality in to replace what they've lost. Yeah, let's let's. We've been teasing it long enough. Let's talk about the the defensive, uh, you know, effort. Obviously, leaking five goals over the two legs. I think actually the the field itself. Well, maybe it didn't help them offensively. I think it might have helped them defensively in that game, just because you know, anytime one of the Panama players or Panamanian players from Independiente was trying to uh, move the ball up the field, it looked like they were running through quicksand. As they, uh, you know, it just wasn't ideal for for any sort of counter attack and slowed the game down, uh, which which I think evidently helped a, a guy like Chris Mavinga to, to completely dominate at the back. But a, another individual error from Laurent Simon, who uh, you know made obviously a, a number of them in, in the first leg, cost Toronto FC in this one. Um, I, I've said from the start, I really don't like the pairing of, of Mavinga and Simon because they're just too similar. I mean, they're two players who are willing to... To, you know, step forward offensively, take some big risks. You kind of need a, a more defensively stable player behind them, but um, evidently, with with their salaries, those are two players who you would expect, uh, you know, to get a lot of minutes this season. Um, we'll see if Simon works into this system somehow, but it's it's not a great first, you know, first impression. And for as much as he brings, you know, when they have the ball. Um, it's it's you know it's pretty obvious Toronto needs to be much better defensively this season and he he doesn't look like he's going to be part of the solution in the in, in the early days at least. No, I, I thought the same thing as you about you know the compatibility of him and Mavinga, um, and I think you know 
I, I kind of had a suspicion that people were writing Drew Moore off a little bit too early in terms of his importance to this team. Um, but it's, it's weird with Simon. Like he, he's always had that part of his game where he will make errors, and and I think you know he'll he'll make rash decisions. He'll go for a challenge like the sliding tackle he tried to make in the first thing in Panama <laughs> was just like insane. Yeah. Um, he he will do stuff like that, but it it's obviously been a lot more infrequent um, previously than than we've seen. You know, with kind of like I've counted three errors that have led to goals in the first two games. Um, so I, I I just don't know you know whether that's something that's just a bad start and you, there's still you know a, a player there who could contribute or whether you know there's real reason to be worried. I think only time will tell. But um, yeah, not a great start from him. I, I don't really buy that he looks cooked. Like I think he he's moving okay um, mm-hmm. and he's you know as you say his build up play with the ball is good. Um, but he's just making these incredible errors on a really regular basis and you know whether that's something as I said that is just gonna you know prove to be a bad start in time or not I don't know but it's it's worrying for sure because that if if he's not um, what they hope he is and Drew Moore does start to look you know like a 35 year old player then that's the big hole in the team um, beyond the, the kind of attacking issues they have right now yeah, for sure. Uh, a, a lot of a, a lot of questions uh, to, to be answered over over the next couple of weeks uh, as we kind of find out more about you know what the plan is going forward for for this team. Um, we we did get uh, a major announcement yesterday from Toronto FC that being that they have extended Josie Altidore for three years. Uh, this was a bit of a surprise for me. I mean, uh, going into this year, I figured if they were going to you know get rid of one designated player it might be Josie I know he was the youngest but uh, he's also had some injury concerns I mean he missed most of last season with uh, with an injury and already has missed time this year just recovering from surgery there but um, you know I'm kind of I'm kind of mixed on this because on one case as I said there's the injury concerns and he he hasn't been a player who's shown he can um, you know be out there consistently but when he is out there he has a very good goal scoring record he's been incredibly important to this team uh, we don't necessarily know what that looks like without Sebastian Jovinko he's been such an important player for him in terms of you know kind of taking some of that pressure off and the the kind of you know partnership they've built up there so uh, we don't know what happens there but also in terms of continuity I think this is good uh, it's something that Bill Manning obviously has has talked about at length he likes to you know have a not have as much turnover probably as certainly has happened this offseason in his club he likes to have players that uh, stay there consistently and this is someone who's been very dedicated from the beginning to to the club so a good ambassador and all that so uh, we'll, we'll see what the numbers look like on him, but he does remain a designated player and does still fill up one of those slots. So, um, yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was an interesting decision from Toronto FC to to extend Altador. Yeah, I, I think, um, like you said, the injuries are the big concern there. Um, I think what they hope is that, you know, Josie himself said recently that he hasn't had a muscle injury in two years, um, mm-hmm. and I haven't fact checked that, so I I'm sure he's had a niggle here and there. Um, but most of his injuries, over the, particularly over the past year, have been that issue with his foot, which you know is surgically repairable, and it's taken two surgeries. But they're hoping that that's now behind him. Um, I, I think when he's on the field, he is 
you know, outside of, of Joseph Martinez and probably Zlatan joins that group as well. I think he's as effective a goal scorer as anyone in the league. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you look at his kind of per 90 minute stats since he joined the league and I think it's, you know, among players that have only, have, that have been in the league for, you know, more than half a season or whatever and have scored a decent amount of goals. I think it's only Martinez, uh, Robbie Keane and David Villa who have scored more per game than Altidore during that time. Um, and that's with him, you know, slightly deferring at times to Javinko, obviously. So, mm-hmm. you know, as a focal point of that four-three-three and and the you know the out-and-out centre forward, I think there is real potential there. But he's got to stay on the pitch. Um, and as much as you know, we can maybe hope that the things he's had to deal with over the past year are, are fixable and, and behind him. It's you know the the larger the bigger picture and the larger body of evidence suggests that injury records aren't likely to improve as you start to approach 30 and, and get the other side of 30. So that's definitely uh, a roll of the dice that, that they're taking. But I think if you can get him on the field, then I don't think there's much debate to be had that, you know, as you said, A, he's a big part of the, the team in the dressing room and, and has fit into the city and the club very well. And, and B, he's worthy of DP money, but he then they need to keep him out there. Yeah, and the, the other bit of news from that press conference was the fact that Tron FC uh, finally kind of acknowledged that the Alejandro Pozuelo saga is close to being over. Um, Bill Manning saying that it's at the, the paperwork stage um, that they plan to announce the player, or they're hoping to announce the player at least very soon. Um, all the reports have been that he, he'll probably join the team uh, towards the end of March once the the regular season for for Genk uh, concludes. Um, that, that becomes obviously a bit of a less or a bit of a less of a concern now that Toronto FC is out of the Concacaf Champions League. I mean, that's the competition that they certainly would have wanted him uh, to to come in for uh, in terms of getting him in earlier. But uh, you know, I think this this is a very positive signing for the club and one that uh, I mean. We'll see. I mean, it's it's going to be probably tough in in the middle of the summer when he's he's coming off you know a lot of playing time with uh, with his club over in Europe. But for the moment, I, I think it it does bode well that he comes in kind of in form. Um, you know, having played week in week out recently, and, and that's going to help him. You know, kind of hit the ground running here because that's pretty important for for what the expectations will be of him and and what the team needs him to be. As we mentioned um, with. With, with what we've seen so far yeah well, well they're betting really big on him and you know I was never one of the people who thought that MLSC were you know pulling the plug on CFC's budget after Jovinko left um, mm-hmm. but I didn't think that they would spend you know effectively the same amount over four years as they spent on Jovinko on the new DP which they're going to do um, between the you know transfer fee of around 11 million and a salary of about 4.5 a year I think comes comes in at around the just short of the 30 million mark that was, you know, Javinko's earnings over over four years. And obviously he came on a free transfer. So it's a big bet. Um, I think he really has the potential to be a star in this league straight away. Uh, I'm really excited to see him. I pulled up a few stats just to kind of show how dominant he has been in Belgium. And mm-hmm. he's this season uh, already, he's created 100 chances, um, which is... In the last four seasons, which is what I have data for, is already the fourth best season um, of the last four years. He's from open play alone, so when you take out set pieces, he's created 76 chances this year. Um, that's already the second best season of the last four years in the Belgian league, and you may be able to guess who's first on that list. Um, 
spent a few years, a couple of years in red as well. <laughs> so uh, yeah, he, his he's really dominated that league this year, um, and I, I really think has the potential to come in and be an instant star in this league and and make everyone around him look better, which w- would be very helpful until they get him, uh, you know, some more serious help. But it's a big bet, and and I think you know one that is very likely to, to pay off in a star player. I, I think he is as close as you can get to a home run, really, is when, when it comes to MLS signings. Yeah, speaking of those, uh, you know, getting him help, um, Toronto FC have, have obviously said that they were going to make two TAM signings. Now, I, I feel like uh, that's kind of been derailed a little bit in, in the sense that they've been focusing so much on this designated player and getting him in and all the complications that have happened with that. Um, it's, it's been a, been a bit of an interesting, you know, a couple of weeks with that in, in the regard of uh, Jonathan Menendez, the player that uh, they've been heavily linked to. And, and, you know, Christian Jack, who is almost always right on these things, actually reported basically twice that the deal was done uh, in a tweet that got deleted after the the kit unveiling, which I thought was very interesting. So not entirely sure what's going on with uh, with that situation or whether, you know, that's a player that they, they're still, you know, keen on bringing in or whether that completely broke down. Um yeah, I wonder. I wonder how much of that just kind of got derailed as as Pozuelo kind of dragged on, and uh, they were focusing on that key piece, and then you know, uh, adding players that that kind of build around him. Yeah, th- there was definitely something to the Menendez stuff. Um, there was a, some stuff coming out of Argentina that they've decided to keep him. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly what's going on there, or, or if it's still a possibility. But you know, it's clear that the left wing has been. You know their next biggest priority, and as I said, I think they need a right winger, winger as well. Um, and I think they have the time to get both of those players, especially if Van der Wiel, um finds a new home, which I'm sure mm-hmm. they're trying to uh, make that happen. But I, I personally would, you know, put that money on wingers, as I said. But again, now you have to ask the question whether whether centre back is is something that they have to consider as well, um, and and potentially doing something there. The only thing I would say with regards to the defence is that uh, in 2016 they went to basically the last game of the regular season without really figuring out their defence. Um, and obviously Damien Perky went halfway through the season. So that's something that maybe you can just you know, see how it goes with until the summer and, and then address then. But yeah, I, I think there's, beyond Pozuelo, there's three question marks which are left wing, right wing and centre-back. And mm-hmm. I, I think they need two players... Um, in two of those three positions pretty quickly if they're going to get into this Eastern Conference playoff picture. Well, they did address uh, one question mark in in recent weeks, and that's the the backup goalkeeper bringing in Quentin Westberg, uh, uh, 32-year-old uh, U.S. Youth International. Um, you know, obviously, obviously a while ago being 32, but <laughs> it made it sound like he's a he's just a recent U.S. US uh, youth International, but. Um, you know, he's had something of a journeyman career over in France. Most most recently, played for Auxerre in the in Ligue 2. So, uh, a player who will bring you know 
so, some European pedigree, um, obviously a solid experience, and and someone who, you know, is not foreign to the to the backup keeper position. Um, I guess they basically needed to bring in someone kind of to to push Alex Bono a little bit and and kind of have some solidity there because uh, certainly in the first leg uh, and towards the end of last season, there, there's some questions to be asked about uh, Bono and his his confidence and uh, you know where where the club needs to go from here because you know a couple of years ago he looked like uh he'd be potentially the, you know the future of this club as well as the u.s men's national team so uh you know you know it's it's never a, a perfectly upward development pathway but um certainly some at least some questions being asked of of toronto FC's young keeper right now yeah um i thought he looked a little better on tuesday but i was kind of uh, a little concerned that he didn't look too confident the week before um, I think with Westberg, he's someone who Greg Vanny is kind of semi-familiar with, I think. Um, you know, Vanny obviously has some contacts in France from his time there and mm-hmm. um, is keeps an eye on, on some of the Americans in the league, I think, and Westberg was one of them. Um, what he did say that I thought was kind of interesting, and, and again, I still think it's very much Alex Bono's job to lose, but I think uh, Westberg is a different type of goalkeeper in that he's not as big as Bono, but he's better with his feet. Um and that is something that could be interesting for TFC when you look at, you know, again, you look at the comparisons to Manchester City and, and the goalkeeper they have in Edison, who's very much of that smaller, um, very skilled with his feet, agile type. Um, mm-hmm. So he's someone who could give them something there if Bono really struggles. But I think there really would have to be sustained issues for Bono for him not to be the number one this year. Westberg is a bit more of a threat to him than, than Patterson Sewell, I think, is, but... Again, you've you know you've got a young U.S. international who you want to give every chance to get back on the right track because this is a guy that was getting linked to Europe, you know, for seven-figure fees less than a year ago. So um, I think he'll still be the guy unless something goes badly wrong. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree. I mean, you know, just from even an economic standpoint, you know, you this is a player that you want um, to to be an asset for you. And as you said, there is interest in Europe. So uh, even from a selling on standpoint, you know, you want this to be a player that that turns out. And obviously, for for the general success of the club, uh, I think Alex Bono is incredibly important. Um, we did mention it off the top. Uh, the MLS season does get underway tomorrow, and Toronto FC are playing the Philadelphia Union. Uh, probably one of the surprise teams of, of last season in terms of uh, the way they were able to, to get into the MLS Cup playoffs in the East and um, have, a, have a decent run for themselves, um, You know, especially considering some of the expectations coming in. They've added uh, to their roster a little bit with the, the signing of Marco Fabian, uh, the Mexican international. Probably... Honestly, one of the better signings of the window for me in terms of what he's been able to do, um, you know, in this region and and for the Mexican national team. So a, a very solid player for them as well. They brought in a MLS veteran Aurelien Colin. So adding some pieces to an already pretty solid foundation. Um, what can Toronto FC kind of expect from them tomorrow? Yeah, like you said, I think they're a team that was already pretty good, um, and they've got better, obviously predominantly through Marco Fabian but also you know they have some very young defenders Mark McKenzie who are only going to take steps forward um, and, and I think it's a team that has quite a lot of veteran experience when you look through um, Men Janine, uh, Bedoya, Andre Blake um, so it's, it's a team that you wouldn't put in the mix as one of the top teams in the league with you know Atlanta and the Red Bulls and so on but 
they made the playoffs last year, got 50 points last year, and you'd expect an improvement on that given what they've they've added in the summer and given they have some young pieces that are going to continue to get better. So I think it's a good yardstick for TFC in that, you know, I, I, I'm not... Ex- well, I don't really need to say this at the minute, but I'm not expecting this to be a supporter shield contending team in Toronto <laughs> right now. Yeah. Um, and so probably, you know, a good season this year for TFC is, is one in which they, you know, progressively... Um, improve as the season goes on and, and manage to get in you know in one of the the lower three positions uh, playoff positions so I think this is the kind of team that they're probably going to be competing directly against in in the best case scenario if, if things do work out this season um, and so it's a, it's a good measuring stick albeit without several key players that they'll help that they'll hope will help them um, pretty soon in Altador and Pozuelo and potentially more signings but it will be good to see where you know, certain aspects of the team match up to a team that they could be competing with for a playoff spot um, come uh, October. Yeah, U.S. Open Cup uh, runners-up as well for Philadelphia, so they were able to have success across uh, basically all competitions they were involved in uh, last season, or at least a, a measure of success um, as the MLS season opens and and we get, uh, you, you know, a look there. The, the Canadian Premier League schedule was revealed this week and uh you know some some interesting details obviously uh we we weren't really sure of how the format would work uh prior to uh the announcement um there's going to be 28 regular season games 14 home 14 away for uh, all clubs uh that's going to be split over two halves of the 2019 season there will be a spring uh and fall season as well um single table uh and the winner of the spring season will be determined by who has the most points at the end of Canada Day uh July 1st uh, which will be a you know kind of a marquee day for the Canadian Premier League which is one of the the details of the schedule right away that that hopped off the page and I thought was was great from a marketing standpoint um and then the winner of the fall season will, will be the team with the most points on October 19th um after the table resets on the 2nd uh those two winners will then meet in a Canadian Premier League championship game which uh, again an interesting um, you know kind of uh, kind of thing to tie it all in is to to have that one game for the cup final Um, but you know I I think on balance uh, this almost uh, gets the best of both I mean uh, close to the the single table table format but then also has that big cup final so uh, you're going to get the the two best teams playing against each other for for the championship I I I like the schedule and I think it's a uh, you know, like I said, it's it's a good combination of, of you know kind of the European and then the uh, uh, the more traditional North American uh, sports style. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I, th- I think you get the the excitement that knockout soccer provides, and you know, I think that's a key thing for this league. Just from as you say, from a marketing standpoint, and and from a you know a, if they can't command people's attention every single week, which is obviously going to be hard to do in in a very uh, competitive sports market in Canada, then they can at least get these, you know, Canada Day and the Championship game, you know, these big days where people are going to pay attention. So I think that part of it is important. And, you know, I like the playoffs. I like knockout games. I think they're the most exciting um, parts of the season in in MLS, obviously. Um, Mm -hmm. But I also like that there's more emphasis put on the league table and there's more emphasis put on the regular season and you're not going into you know three rounds um having finished first and you know potentially dominated the regular season so i like that um i think obviously the thing maybe people are concerned about is the fact that the season splits unevenly 
um, and whether 10 games is is sufficient to get hosting rights for that championship match um, and I get that I, I think part of that has obviously been forced by the whole CONCACAF league issue uh, and the need to decide a team that is going into that competition by the start of July so you know potentially in future years I don't know if that could maybe be changed and, and, and addressed but um, on the bright side at least um, from a point of view of the 10 game opening season you do get games that matter straight away and you don't get you know for me the big weakness in the MLS season is that in late spring and early summer we kind of sleepwalk through things a little bit um, in matches that you know you can't afford to lose all of them as we saw with CFC last season but you can afford you know bad days that don't really have major consequences Um, in the Canadian Premier League they will Um, you know one bad day or a couple of bad a couple of losses in a row could really derail you um straight away so it's kind of a bit NFL like in, in that sense um, but yeah overall I think it's good I think it, as you said it gets the right balance between um, putting an emphasis on the regular season and, and also you know getting those big one off show pieces that I think the league does need um, you know to to command people's attention early on yeah, another bit of uh, Canadian soccer news. Steven Ustakio, uh committing to the Canadian men's national team program. He's been a Portuguese youth international, uh, played over in Portugal for for a couple of years now um, before moving to Cruz Azul recently. Uh, hurt his leg in in his opening game for the club and uh, will be out in, until September. So a player that Canada won't get for uh, their Gold Cup run this summer, but will certainly uh, have in the mix uh, as, as World Cup qualifying gets underway. So, um, you know, an, obviously an exciting player for, for Canada to bring in and yet, yet another midfielder to add to their depth. Um, also an important player considering, you know, Atiba Hutchinson is, is probably on his way out after the gold cup and uh, as a player who plays you know somewhat of a similar role in that uh, kind of defensive midfielder uh, position so um yeah i think you made the joke on, on twitter that canada will be going into the the world cup playing their 271 formation uh which which kind of seems like with the amount of midfield depth that they have right now but um as much as it's it's bizarre for canada to have depth in the midfield and up front while not having it at the back uh it's it's <laughs> it's not a bad thing i think like you you, uh, you know obviously you want the you want balanced depth but at the same time you know it's it's pretty exciting to have this many talented midfielders uh, in the canadian men's national team setup yeah for sure and you know this is another player with good pedigree i can't say i've seen a lot of him but obviously is you know the clubs he's been at the level he's played at um is really promising and you know just keep strengthening that pool and you know things will shake out people players will decline players will improve players will get hurt and so on and, and you just keep um adding depth to the options at john herdman's disposal and you're never going to regret doing that so um it's another good addition i think it's kind of interesting how you know as the american team has started to become a bit more mls oriented the canadian team is becoming less so um mm-hmm. you know especially if all these midfield additions maybe push the likes of uh, Azorio and Piet down the depth chart a little bit um, as a big kind of European focus and obviously Liga MX in this case um, to, to the Canadian team right now so um, it'll be interesting to see how that matches up against uh, a US team that as I said is is you know in, in places becoming a bit more MLS oriented yeah, I think there's a good chance Canada starts, you know, the Gold Cup and, and some of these upcoming qualifiers with only one or two MLS players on the field, yeah. considering, 
you know, just just some of the ways players are playing over in Europe. You think of Scotty Arfield, Jonathan David, obviously Alfonso Davies, players who are uh, having great seasons over there. Uh, but speaking of MLS Canadians, uh, Christian Jack released a, a list of his top five players uh, in MLS from Canada. He had Jonathan Osorio one, Samuel Piet two, Mark Anthony K, Daniel Henry, and Tesho Akindele. Uh, it's it's definitely an interesting season for uh, Canadians in MLS. Obviously, you know guys like Osorio and Piet who had very solid seasons for their respective clubs last year um and then a lot of younger players who will be hoping to uh to kind of make the push through at all three canadian clubs especially you know a club like vancouver that has uh such a small roster right now and and kind of some openings there um who, who are some of the the canadian players you'd kind of be keying in on this season in terms of um you know having big years and, and taking important steps forward in, in their development um, I, well, I think Vancouver is the really interesting one just because of Mark Dos Santos and, and his impact there. Um, I'm hopeful that Russell Tybert can take a step forward. I think he's a guy who, you know, has that level of technical ability that, um, you know, you have to treasure and you have to try and make the most out of if you're at the national team level. Um, there is a lot of competition in that midfield and they have strength in that area, but I also think it's a team that's going to be more. Um, favorable to to a player of his type, you know. I think Carl Robinson a lot of the time wanted to have two big, uh, you know, physical central midfielders um, mm-hmm. protecting his defense, and I think maybe that won't be the case so much uh, this season. So that could play in his favor a little bit. Um, so he's one I'll be looking out for. I I think, you know, from a Toronto perspective, as obviously you know, having watched TFC two a fair bit last year, there's a few I'm I'm interested in, but the one who continues to stand out as Liam Fraser and you know I, I would really like to see him become more of a, a regular first team player for TFC you know I, I really don't think that Fraser should be a guy who is only getting three or four starts and some bench minutes this year I, I, I think they really need to push him on and, mm-hmm. and and he's the kind of young player who can really give them something fresh and, and a bit of young energy in that midfield while also being you know a very coachable player who you can rely upon so um yeah, I, I think if TFC want to kind of back up this commitment to youth that's being restated under under Ali Curtis, then, you know, Liam Fraser's got to be top of the list to see some real minutes this year. Yeah, especially when it looks like they're kind of going to play with that, uh, you know, closer to a double pivot there in the midfield when it used to be just, just Bradley kind of at the back in a diamond or, um, you, you know, otherwise it looks like they have Delgado lined up next to him uh, for for the start of the season. So that's a role that Liam Frazier would obviously be very comfortable in and, and one that hopefully, like you said, he'll see some uh, some decent minutes in. I'll add Matthew Chouanier to that list of player in Montreal who had an exceptional preseason and who was pretty great for Canada at the under-20 uh, competition uh, earlier this or this past year so uh, a player that you know could could make his breakout there's a lot of young players kind of kicking around all three of these teams that uh, will be interesting to watch this year so it uh, could be a big year for for uh, Canadians in MLS we'll, we'll wait and see um, but yeah just uh, just something to watch for as the MLS season gets underway um, but quickly before we wrap up here uh, the Canadian women's national team they're currently playing in the Algarve Cup 
Um, it's kind of the final event before their their World Cup this summer. They won one nil uh, this morning against Scotland. Nil nil draw against Iceland. Uh, Christine Sinclair scored uh, the lone goal on a PK for Canada this morning. Uh, so she's just six back of Abby Wambach now with 179 international goals to her name. Um, we'll obviously kind of continue to watch that tournament as it progresses and uh, talk more women's national team uh, heading into the summer on the show. But um, until then, all thanks for uh, joining the show this morning anytime thanks for having me and uh, to the rest of you thanks for listening Uh, we hope to see a number of you out tomorrow at the rec room for our super soccer Saturday event Uh, we'll have a panel with myself Gareth Wheeler of TSN Joshua Cloak of The Athletic and Carlos Verdi talking about uh, both the El Clasico a very interesting El Clasico seeing as it's the third one in the past uh, couple weeks Uh, so definitely going to be very interesting one there and the Toronto FC home opener as well will be screened before it uh, there'll be all kinds of prizes and perks so uh, definitely an event you want to check out you can head over to homestandsports.com uh, slash events to to get your free RSVP to that uh, that event and as I said hope to see all of you there and uh, otherwise have a good weekend <laughs>